The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Good morning, Shades. The reading reading for this morning is Mark 1, verses 12 and 13. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. So I do invite you, uh, whether you're here in person or you're gathered with us online, I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. In the summer of 2019, I was on sabbatical, and Holly and I had the opportunity to visit Montana. It was our first time there, and I was absolutely blown away like by its, its beauty. Summer is the time to go to Montana. Uh, the weather is perfect, and it's just it's gorgeous. Like It doesn't matter if you're like hiking through Glacier National Park, boating on Flathead Lake, or seeing bison on the National Preserve. Like We were just overwhelmed with the wonder. And so I began to joke with Holly about moving to Montana. Don't worry. She squashed all of those dreams every time I brought it up with her consistent one-word response bears. Montana has grizzly bears. My wife is not a fan. She does not care to live where the wild things are. All of us have our bears. And those things that like cause primal fear to rise up in your heart, like maybe for you it really is something huge, bears, sharks, maybe it's something small, mice, roaches. My wife swears that roaches are a result of the fall and they will not be a new creation. Like whatever your wild things are, none of us want to live where they are. And yet, our Lenten series that we've been doing has been showing us that the wilderness, where the wild things are, is precisely where all of us live. In in our Lenten series, 40 Years and 40 Days, we have seen that the story of Israel in the Old Testament It's like a lens through which the story of all of God's people, including us, comes into focus. Here's, Here's what I mean. Like God saved Israel out of slavery in Egypt, led them through the wilderness, brought them into the promised land, so also he saved all of his people out of slavery to sin. He's bringing us through the wilderness of this world to the promised land of new creation. Israel's story is our story. And according to that story, that schema, that narrative, according to that, Shades, we live in the wilderness of this world. And it is full of wild things. Both out there and in here. Within ourselves. Out there, our world is full of wild things like like tornadoes that ripped through our state last week. It's filled with terror, like hate-filled bullets that ripped through the bodies of eight image bearers in Atlanta this past week. Even families and cities and the Asian American community reeling and grieving, and we are grieving and standing in solidarity with them against 
hate, but all of this simultaneously makes us, even while we stand with them, we grieve with them, all of this simultaneously makes us realize that the wild things in our world, they're not just out there, they're also in here. Our world is not the only thing that's broken. According to Scripture, we are. And Shades, I recognize that there are storms that rage inside my chest that are more destructive than any tornado. I have spoken words that bring more destruction than any wind. I have felt hidden hate flare up in my heart. Hate that I would rather deny than deal with. I'm like the little boy Max in the children's book where the wild things are. If you read that book as an adult, you realize Max is the wild one and where the wild things are is inside himself. The book's message is he's got to learn self-control, not to give in to the temptation to be wild. He's got to learn to be king of all of his own wild things and if i'm honest shades like as much as i love that i do i love that book i love reading it to my children but as much as i love that book its message leaves me feeling hopeless because shades i don't know about you but i have tried to be the king of my own wild things and it doesn't work i have tried to be the king of my temptations the king of my lust, the king of my anger, the king of my jealousy, the king of my anxiety, the king of my depression. I've tried to be the king of all these things, and it doesn't work. That makes me feel hopeless. And if I'm even more honest, as a Christian, it begins to make me feel faithless, like I'm losing faith. Because I thought, I thought this whole Christianity thing was about being saved. And I don't feel like I'm being saved from where the wild things are, out there or in here. In fact, I feel, don't know about you, but I feel like Christianity has only further forced me out into the wilderness. Because Christianity only makes me recognize even more the brokenness of this world. Even more the brokenness of myself. This feels hopeless. It makes me feel faithless. And if I get gut level honest shades, to me, it ultimately feels loveless. If God is the loving Father that Christianity claims, why would He abandon me to the wilderness? Why would He make me live where the wilderness, where the, where the wild things are. Why would he make me live where the wilderness out there tempts constantly the wild things in here? Shades, that is the question that has been echoing in my own heart throughout this series. And that's the question that is driving us to Mark chapter 1 this morning. So I want you to begin reading with me. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And the Spirit drove him, that's Jesus, the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So throughout this series, we have been zooming 
in on the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. We've done that mostly through the Gospel of Matthew. We've also done a little bit through the Gospel of Luke because both of those Gospels give us the details. They, they dig into the details of Christ's temptation. Matthew, his details show us how Jesus, through his temptations, was reliving the story of Israel. All you're going to do is a side-by-side comparison as you go throughout Matthew's gospel, first few chapters, and Jesus' story perfectly parallels the story of Israel. Israel enslaved in Egypt. Their young boys were threatened with death from a tyrannical king. Jesus threatened with death when he's born from a tyrannical king. God brings Israel out of Egypt. Out of Egypt I called my son. He brings Jesus out of Egypt as a young boy. Israel passes through the Red Sea. Jesus passes through the baptismal waters. Israel is sent for 40 years into the wilderness. Jesus goes for 40 days into the wilderness. Jesus is reliving the story of Israel. But the difference is that everywhere Israel failed, Matthew's gospel shows us Jesus succeeds. Luke's gospel is likewise obsessed with the details. And he he goes into some of those details of how Jesus' story parallels Israel, but he gives us another parallel. He shows us how Jesus' story parallels that of Adam in the garden. If you remember, between Jesus' baptism and his temptation in the wilderness, Luke inserts Jesus' genealogy, connects him all the way back to Adam, who Luke calls the Son of God. He wants you to see Adam, the Son of God in the garden who failed. Here comes Jesus, the true Son of God in the wilderness who succeeds. Through their details, Matthew and Luke show us Jesus is the true Israel. He's the true Adam. He's the true Son of God who has gone into the wilderness on our behalf, faced down and defeated every temptation. We've been digging into those glorious details, but the Gospel of Mark It doesn't give us the details. The two verses we just read, that's the whole thing. Mark goes in a different direction from digging into details. He backs up. Instead of zooming in, Mark zooms out. He he gives us a wide view. 10,000 foot view, a wide view of the wilderness because he wants us to see what God is doing in the wilderness and through the wilderness. Namely, he wants us to see that God is strengthening our hope, shaping our faith, and satisfying us with love. Do you hear that, Shades? That's the exact opposite of what I told you earlier, the wilderness makes me feel. I told you the wilderness makes me feel hopeless, faithless, loveless as I try to be the king of my own wild things. But Mark gives us the wide view of the wilderness so that we'll see how God is using it to strengthen our hope, shape our faith, and satisfy us with love, ultimately so that we may be empowered to submit to the one true king over all wild things, Jesus. This is what Mark is showing us in two verses. Don't believe me? See it with me. Mark shows it to us through three things, place, promise, and purpose. Place, promise, and purpose. First, place. Mark wants us to see God sends us to this place, the wilderness. Remember, this is how Mark is aiming to strengthen your hope right here. He wants you to see God sends you to the wilderness. Thanks, Mark. Hope strengthening. It is. 
God sends us to this place. Look at Mark 1 and verse 12. The Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit of God, immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. This verse is a little bit jarring. Like, like the Gospel of Matthew, if you remember, when it talks about what's going on right here, it uses a lot softer language. It tells us the Holy Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness. Mark, much more blunt and brutal. The Spirit drove Jesus. Not, not like sitting like an Uber, like Jesus at your stop. It's the wilderness. Like, not like drove like that. Like drove like a cowboy drives cattle. The word here is ekbalo. It's primarily used in Mark's gospel for what Jesus does to demons. He drives them out. He casts them out. This is a forceful push. It's a shove. This is what I do when I'm teaching my kids how to ride a bike. Here you go. Have fun. Go for it. You got it. Keep, get up. Try again. I'm a terrible father. Doesn't God look like a terrible father right here? Have you ever felt like he's a terrible father? Like he saved you only to shove you into the wilderness? God looks like a terrible father here. And yet, Mark insists that this is loving. I know that because of the word immediately. Immediately. Jesus is driven into the wilderness immediately after something. After what? After his baptism. Look back up at verses 9 through 11. If you read through those verses, you'll see Jesus is baptized. The heavens open Holy Spirit descends upon him like a, like a dove. God the Father speaks. One of the only places in the entire Bible where you encounter every member of the Trinity right there together. Father speaks from heaven in verse 11 saying, You are my beloved. Love you. This is about love. What's unfolding here is about my love. You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. Or with you and you, I take delight. I enjoy you. I delight in you. You're my beloved. You're my son. You're my child. Very next words. The Spirit, that Spirit that descended upon him. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Do you see the connection? In other words, it is because Jesus is beloved. It is because Jesus is God's son. It is because God delights in Jesus that he sends him into the wilderness. Mark insists that this is not evidence against God's fatherly love. It is evidence for it. For Mark, the word ekbalo right here, it is, it is not an unloving shove, okay? I kind of like, it can be that, but I, I kind of twisted it. I didn't give you all the full meanings of this word right here. It's not an unloving shove. It is being lovingly sent. Mark uses that word to show, yes, it's the Father who said, I love you. I, you're my son. I delight in you. He is lovingly sending this beloved son into the wilderness. This is the pattern of the father's love, is it not? 
Can we look throughout the scripture? When you, when you look at the story we described earlier of, of Israel in the Old Testament, is this not the pattern of the Father's love? Is it not because God loves Israel, sets his love on them? Is it not because he adopts Israel as his son? Is it not because he delights in them that he doesn't abandon them into slavery in Egypt, but he brings them out through the waters of the Red Sea and sends them into the wilderness? None of that is evidence against God's love. It would have been unloving for him to leave them in slavery in Egypt. This is not evidence against God's love. It's evidence for it. And the same is true for you. God did not abandon you to slavery and sin, but he brought you out, brought you through the waters of baptism where this truth washed over you. You're beloved of the Father. You're beloved. You're literally immersed in this reality. You're beloved of the Father. You're his son. You're his daughter. He delights in you. Hear that truth shades. God enjoys you. He delights in you. And it's because, it's because all of that is true that you came up out of those baptismal waters and were sent into this world that now feels like a wilderness full of wild things. It's because all of that is true that you now see clearly the wild things that live inside of you. It's, it's because all of that is true that you now feel the wilderness out there tempting the wild things in here. You see, you see, let me try to help you see. It's, it's, it's like this. I remember watching a, uh, a comedian that I really enjoy doing stand-up act. And uh, not long after I had seen that stand-up act, my, my mother came to visit. I said, Mom, you got to see this comedian. It's hilarious. So I turned it on. Holy cow! The act, to put it delicately, was a lot wilder than I remembered. Why did I see it differently now? It's because of my identity as a son that I saw the wildness. Shades, it is your identity as a child of God that causes you to see with great clarity the wildness of this world and the wild things within you. That should not shred your hope. It should strengthen it. It's confirmation that you are a son or daughter. Not evidence against it. I counsel, I counsel people all the time who doubt their salvation because of the wildness out there that tempts the, the wild things in here. I counsel people who doubt their salvation because of the temptations that they fight and because of the conviction that they feel. But shades, fighting temptation and feeling conviction is not evidence against your salvation. It is evidence for it. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to fight temptation. All of this, your feeling of the wilderness, your fights against the wild things, all of this is not evidence that God is far from you. It's evidence He's your Father. Father. 
And he's near. You're not feeling his absence. You're feeling his loving presence. It's his sons and daughters who sense the wilderness because it is his sons and daughters that he sends into the wilderness. Do you see that? Don't let the fact that you find yourself tempted in the wilderness make you want to discount yourself as a beloved child of God. This is what he did with the beloved son, Jesus. He sent him into the wilderness. God sends us, those who are his, into this place. Shades, this should strengthen your hope, your hope that you are indeed Finding yourself tempted in the wilderness does not call your sonship into question. It confirms it. This place, the wilderness, strengthens your hope. If you remember, in the first week of this series, Brad, uh, he compared God testing his people in the wilderness to what a blacksmith does when he or she tests metal. Through the testing, the heating process, the blacksmith is actually strengthening the metal. And right now, I pray that through this word, you are seeing the wilderness in a whole new way, and the wilderness is strengthening your hope that you are indeed His. God sends us, those who are His, into this place, and that strengthens. It doesn't make us hopeless. It strengthens our hope. The second thing Mark shows us after place is promise. Promise. Mark shows us that God sends us to this place with a promise. He doesn't just send us in the winter's, hey, have fun. He sends us into this place with a promise. Look at verse 13, Mark chapter 1, verse 13. And he, Jesus, was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. The Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke emphasize the conclusion of Jesus' time in the wilderness, how it it all comes to a climax in three specific temptations, three specific ways Satan tempts Christ. But again, Mark goes in a different direction. Instead of zooming into the details, he zooms out to give us the wide view of the wilderness. His emphasis is not on the conclusion. His emphasis is not on those three specific temptations. His emphasis is on the reality that Jesus faced satanic temptation throughout the entire 40 days. You see that? Verse 13, he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, being tempted. That is a present participle, meaning it is an ongoing, continuous action. This is the reality surrounding Christ while he is in the wilderness for 40 days. This, This is all he can see. Unforgiving wilderness for 40 days, unrelenting temptation for 40 days. Jesus, daily, ongoing, continuous reality is that he was living where the wild things are. Doesn't Mark say that explicitly? Do you notice? Verse 13, and he was with the wild animals, Therion, beasts. Therion, he was with the wild animals, the beasts, the wild things. 
Christ, get this picture, Christ is surrounded by a physical reality that constantly reminds him of the spiritual reality that he is facing down the devil who roams around like a roaring lion. He's surrounded by wild things that remind him of the wildest thing, Satan constantly seeking someone to devour. This, this is the wide view of the wilderness that Mark wants us to see. Jesus faced the danger of temptation throughout the entirety of the 40 days. That's the wide view he wants us to see, but that's not all Mark zooms out for us to see. He also zooms out so that we might see the unseen reality. We see the physical reality of the wilderness and the wild animals and the temptation throughout the 40 days, but there's an unseen reality Mark zooms out for us to see. Look at the rest of verse 13. And he was with the wild animals and, and, that's not all, and the angels were ministering to him, were ministering, ongoing, continuous action. In other words, as Christ faces ongoing, continuous temptation, simultaneously, he is being given ongoing, continuous provision. You see that? That that is what God has promised to all of his people. That's what he promised Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. That he would provide Everything they need. That's what he has promised you. And I confessionally state that I believe. God, this is hard right now. Show it's in my life. believe this is what he has promised me even when it doesn't feel like it Philippians 4.19 my God will supply he will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus And if I'm honest, Shades, the physical reality of the wilderness is so much easier to see than this unseen reality of God's promised provision that I'm called to believe. That's much harder to believe. And that's why, it's why temptation in the wilderness is so strong. Because it doesn't look like God is providing for you. So Satan says, provide for yourself, Jesus. Turn the stones into bread. In the wilderness, it doesn't look like God is protecting you. So Satan says, Jesus, force God to protect you, to follow your own security plan, take the leap from the temple. In the wilderness, it doesn't look like God's plan is best. Satan says, Jesus, take the plan into your own hands. Get, get the kingdoms of the world right now. Get the kingdoms without a cross. 
all the temptations, shades all of the temptations that we have seen Jesus face. The temptation towards self-gratification, towards self-protection, towards self-exaltation. They have all simultaneously been temptations away from something. Away from trust in his Father. Away from trusting his Father's promised provision. Shades, Satan tempts you and I the same way. Amidst the wilderness of this world, God's promised to provide all you need. He's promised to provide all you need. I've found this to be a good second use of the, of the mask here. Just in one of these phases of life, I think it happens as you get older. I think you cry more. I think it's a thing. We learned this last year. God's promise to provide all we need in the wilderness of this world. Is this not what we learned as we walked through Revelation, especially Revelation chapter 12? Do you remember? In Revelation 12, we saw a vision of you and me, a vision of the church as a woman. God took her. Do you remember where he took her? He took her into the wilderness. Why? Revelation 12, 6. In the wilderness there, she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished. Provided for. Verse 14 says he did it to protect her from Satan, the dragon, and his beasts, Therion. Shades. God has sent his church into the wilderness of this world. He sends us into this place, but he does so with a promise. The promise of all the provision and the protection that we will need for every wild thing we face out there and in here. That promise is meant to shape your faith, not make you faithless. Build your faith. Shape it. It shaped Jesus' faith in his Father. How have we seen Jesus face down and defeat every temptation? Has it not been by faith in his Father? I don't, I don't need to turn stones into bread. I've got faith in my Father's promised provision. I don't need to take a leap to test my Father. I've got faith in his promised protection. I don't need to take the plan into my own hands. I have faith in my Father's promised plan. Jesus' Faith was shaped by his Father's promise is ours. Shades, this is part of what God is doing through the wilderness. He is shaping our faith. Remember, remember the blacksmith illustration again where Brad compared our, God's testing of his people in the wilderness to the blacksmith testing the metal in order to strengthen it. Do you remember that when Joe Corey preached, he expanded on that illustration in his sermon? Joe pointed out that the blacksmith doesn't just test the metal, heat it in order to strengthen it, but he does it to make it malleable in order to shape it. It is precisely the heat that makes shaping the metal possible. Shades. It is precisely the wilderness that makes shaping your faith possible. 
The wilderness is where we learn to trust God's promised provision. You can't learn to trust it any other way. The wilderness is where we learn to trust His promised provision. It is is when all around your soul gives way that you then learn He is all your hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, you can stand when the wilderness has taught you that all other ground is sinking sand. Like It's amidst the wild things where we learn to trust God's promised provision. It's there that we learn He is truly the wildest thing ever. And all other wild things fear Him. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And Hosea 2 and verse, excuse me, Hosea 11 and verse 10 says that He has the loudest roar. C.S. Lewis classically always puts it best. You know, his Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia series is Aslan. And when, when the children ask, is Aslan a tame lion? They say, the response is tame. No, he's not tame. He's wild. But he's good. Shades, I pray that right now the Lord is using the wilderness to shape your faith. That you see through the surrounding wilderness and and wild things you see your faith is in the unseen promised provision yes god sends us into this place but he sends us into this place with a promise that shapes our faith strengthens our hope shapes our faith third and final thing that mark shows us purpose shows place promise now purpose. God sends us to this place, the wilderness of this world. God sends us to this place with a promise, provide everything that we need to face all that we will face. God sends us to this place with a promise for a purpose. Look one more time at verse 13. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. That, when I was studying, that, that detail about the wild animals, I, I'm unable to let it go. It's just so odd. Like it just sticks out. And yes, like we've already said, I do think that part of its purpose is to emphasize the wildness of, of the wilderness. Uh, there's Old Testament precedent for that. The, Isaiah, uh, the prophet uh, Isaiah talks that way. About the wilderness is a place of the wild animals, the wild beasts. And yet, Isaiah actually goes on to say more than that. In Isaiah 11, the prophet speaks about a day that will come when the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Isaiah says a day is coming when the wild things won't be wild. Not only that, but Isaiah 35 says that a day is coming when the wilderness won't be the wilderness. Waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The haunt of jackals, where the wild things are, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. 
In other words, shades, Isaiah foresees a time when the wild things in the wilderness will be redeemed. How? It tells us all over the place, probably best in Isaiah 11. He declares this will happen by a coming king. Isaiah 11 and verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse, the family tree from which the rightful king should come. But that tree's been cut down. It's just a stump. Isaiah says there will come a shoot from that stump. There will come a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a rightful king. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And here for us in Mark chapter 1 comes Jesus, the rightful king from the stump of Jesse's family tree. The spirit descends and rests upon him as a dove and sends him into the wilderness where he is with the wild things, but they are not wild to him for he is their king. Shades, do you see? I think, I think, and I'm not alone in this, I think that Mark is giving us a glimpse of the purpose for which the father sent the son into the wilderness of this world to redeem all things. The king has come to reclaim his kingdom. I think that's what's going on because that's what Jesus says in the very next verse. Mark's gospel in verse 14, he says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's showing up. It's here and it's here in me. So repent and believe the gospel. The king has come to reclaim his kingdom, to redeem his creation. Don't you see? A little Eden is already breaking out in the wilderness. A little Eden broke out everywhere that Jesus went, shades. Everywhere he went, demons fled, disease retreated, and death itself reversed. Behold the king of all wild things. And that includes the wild things in you and me. Shades. Do you see? Do you see what is happening with Christ here in the wilderness? It's a small snapshot. Everything we've seen throughout this entire series that's happening with Christ in the wilderness, it's a small snapshot, a glimpse of the big picture of what Christ came to do. In the wilderness, we get a small summary of what's going to happen throughout the entirety of his life. If we truly zoom out all the way to see the wide view of the wilderness that Jesus was sent into, we will see he was sent into the wide wilderness of this world in which he faced down continuous, ongoing temptation. Yet he perfectly depended upon the Father's ongoing, continuous provision. He did what none of us could do. He entered the wilderness of this world, faced down and defeated every temptation for you. He took all of your wild things, all of your sin, my sin, into himself on the cross and crucified it all. He rose from the grave proving he's king of the wild things. He is the king who lovingly redeems. Shades, shades, God sent his son into this place, the wilderness of this world, with a promise to provide everything he needed for a purpose to lovingly redeem all things, even wild things like you and wild things like me. This is the purpose. The purpose for which he came to the wilderness of this world to satisfy your heart with love, to satisfy your heart with himself. That's why he came. 
end. And it is for this purpose that He sends us into the wilderness of this world to satisfy our hearts with love, to satisfy our hearts with Himself, to make Him King over all of our wild things. Recall, recall the blacksmith illustration one more time. I promise, last time. Call it one more time. We've talked about how a blacksmith tests metal in order to strengthen it, in order to shape it, but he doesn't do that randomly. He does it specifically. He has a specific purpose in mind for the metal. The entire reason he's strengthening it and shaping it is so that it might satisfy that purpose. Shades, we've seen God sends us into this place to strengthen our hope with promises that shape our faith all ultimately for the purpose of satisfying us with his love satisfying us with himself jesus gave an illustration okay we move on from the blacksmith thing jesus gave an illustration of what this looks like and how it works he gave a beautiful one in john chapter 15 to help us understand how this works jesus said john 15 i am the vine and you are the branches and his father is the vine dresser we like to skip over that part a lot of the time let's talk about us jesus vine and branches but he lays emphasis first and squarely on his father is the vine dresser who does the painful work of pruning. Why? So that the branches will draw even more life from the vine and produce even more fruit to the full satisfaction of the purpose for which they were created. The vine dresser prunes to maximize the life-giving connection between the vine and the branch. Shades, the Father prunes to maximize your satisfaction in Christ. The most loving thing He can do for you is to maximize your satisfaction in Christ because nothing else will satisfy. God loves you too much to give you anything less than the best, and the best is Himself. This is why His sending us into the wilderness of this world is loving. He sends us into the wilderness of this world to strip away the lies and the notion that anything can satisfy but Him, to show us He is our hope, to shape our faith towards Him and Him alone, to satisfy our hearts with the only thing that can satisfy Himself. He's sending us into the wilderness is loving towards us and it's loving towards the world. Because in this place, we learn to depend upon His promises. And thus experience his purpose, ultimate satisfaction that can only be found in him. That's not just loving towards us, that's loving towards the world. Because when we find ultimate satisfaction in God, we show the world that he's the only one who can satisfy their hearts. It's, it's like sitting with someone who's enjoying food. They don't have to tell you the food is good when they're just being ridiculously satisfied by it. Mmm. And you're like, I'll have what they're having. When we are satisfied with God, that shines forth His glory into the world that He is the only one who can satisfy everyone's heart. God 
sent his son into this place with this promise for this purpose. And now, Shades, he sends us into this place with his promise for this purpose to satisfy our hearts with love, to satisfy our hearts with himself. Shades, we are not left hopeless, faithless, loveless, trying to be the king of our own wild things for the king has come and through the wilderness he is strengthening our hope shaping our faith and satisfying us with love with himself